In your Bibles this morning, we're going to be looking in John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verses 27 through 29. John chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. And a sermon that I've titled, and sometimes I try and come up with a nice catchy title, something that maybe alliterates a little bit, something that will really grab your attention. And this week, I don't know, I just, nothing was jumping out to me that would stand out as a really good catchy title. So the title for this morning's message is simply Eternal Life eternal life. John 10, 27 to 29, a sermon titled Eternal Life. Eternal life is, honestly, it's a concept that we don't think enough about. When we're asked about it, we acknowledge that it's true, that, that there is eternal life, but how often do we stop and consider that the salvation we have in Jesus Christ is eternal? How long is eternal? The truth is, our minds cannot comprehend how long eternity is because everything we know has an end. Eternity is a concept that is beyond what we can comprehend. We accept it because the Bible tells us that it is true, but we struggle to begin to explain how God can make us to be eternal or how He is, in fact, eternal. Such knowledge is too great for us, and yet this is the truth that we're instructed to go out and to share with the world. So many people think that this life is all that there is. That once they die, they become worm food. And the Apostle Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of most men I'm sorry, he says, we are of all men most miserable. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. The object of every believer's hope is not in ourselves. It's not even in angels or any other creatures. It's not in money. It's not in possessions. It's not in different privileges that we can have or even what we profess. But Jesus Christ and the promised home in heaven that we have through him. We would be most miserable if our hope was only for this life as long as it lasts. If it never got any better than this, and if this was all that there was to it, we would, we'd be truly miserable. Because the more you look around, you find that this life is not all that great. Even with its highs, as great as the highs are, the lows are just as bad, or even worse. If our hope in Christ is bound with this life, and it's confined to the things of this life, not reaching beyond this life, we are, of all men, most miserable. The truth is that we have eternity, though, to look forward to. Even if we cannot fully understand what eternity looks like. Eternity is the reason why any of us have any sort of hope whatsoever. We don't have, we don't have hope because God has promised us some really nice things here in this life. We have hope because God has promised us everlasting joy and everlasting peace for all eternity. That's what it means when he says everlasting. How would you ever be able to rejoice in the blessings that God gives you now if there was no promise for the future? Without any sort of timetable of how long your life would last here on earth, you'd be miserable wondering when it's all going to come to an end. If God blessed you immensely now, but didn't tell you you're going to have this for the rest of your eternity, and it's only going to be here for this time here on earth, without knowing how long you're going to live, you're going to be miserable. 
When is it all going to come to end? How, how much time am I, going to, am I going to have to enjoy these blessings from God while I'm here on earth? But thankfully, Christ hasn't promised his believers that the blessings they receive in him only last here on earth. But in fact, he says they continue throughout eternity and they get better as the time goes on. While that is true for believers, the best that unbelievers will ever experience is what this temporal life will bring. Eternity for the unbeliever does not bring everlasting joy. It does not bring everlasting peace. Rather, it brings everlasting pain and torment. The joy of this life is the best that unbelievers will ever experience. And if you think about it, the joys of this life are nothing in comparison to what we shall experience in God's presence because of our faith in Him. And this is where we come in. Believers are called to bring this message of everlasting life, of everlasting joy, of everlasting peace to a world that is most miserable. They are miserable because they don't have that eternal life in Christ. They don't realize that through Christ they can be secure forever and set apart for everlasting joy in Him. If the message of the gospel only promised an earthly glory, would it be worth it? Would it be worth it? Would you believe in a Savior who only offered you a temporary salvation that only lasted for this life and offered no guarantees for life after this life? I know I wouldn't. Why? I certainly wouldn't want to waste my time telling someone else about how they can have all sorts of restrictions, all sorts of things that God promises here, but no guarantee for the future. Fortunately, the hope we have in Christ is not a temporary hope, but an eternal hope. We can have full confidence that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried in the tomb, that three days later he rose from the grave, giving us eternal victory over our sin through faith in him. If this life was all that there was, we wouldn't waste our time in church. We wouldn't waste our time preaching the gospel. We wouldn't waste our time with any of it if there was no hope for eternity. But we know there's a hope for eternity because Jesus Christ came and conquered sin. He died on the cross for us. He was buried in the tomb and rose victoriously, make, making heaven's gates open for all those who come to him in faith. Amen. So he's promised us the future home in heaven beyond what this life ever offers. So it's worth it to go and to tell others about the joys that come through salvation. He wouldn't have gone through all of that only to offer us a temporary salvation. Jesus declared in John 5, 24, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. We have everlasting life when we believe on Jesus Christ as our Savior. Not long life, not extended life, but everlasting life. Do you know how long everlasting is? Everlasting. It's everlasting. It doesn't end. And this is what motivates us to trust in Christ. This is what motivates us to go and to spread the gospel. This is what makes the gospel good news. This is the message the world is looking for. They're looking for hope. They're looking for hope beyond this life. They're looking for hope in the future. They want to know that there will be indeed better days ahead. Unfortunately, the way things are going here on earth makes it really difficult for anyone to have hope that things here on earth are going to get any better because the longer that time goes on, the more things, to be, things seem to be spiraling out of control. 
We seem to be on this very fast downward trajectory from which we cannot recover. Is there hope for America? Only God knows. Is there hope for believers? Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt, there is hope for every single believer in Christ because our faith is not resting in our country. Our faith is not resting in our president. Our faith is not resting in our governor or any other elected official, but in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has come and conquered sin and death. Praise the Lord for that. We don't have to wonder whether or not Christ will be victorious because he already is. He's done it all. Everything that needed to be done has been done and taken care of and and sealed by Jesus Christ. And all that we have to do is to believe that he is everything and that his work is all sufficient for us. That if we believe on him, the promises of heaven are guaranteed for us. All we have to do is trust in him. All we have to do is believe his word and the promise that we receive of him is everlasting joy, everlasting peace, and the life forever in the presence of God. This is why we witness. This is why we evangelize. This is why we go out soul winning because there is good news for us, not just here on earth, but for what is offered to us beyond this life. Everyone should know that God wants to bring them salvation and that his salvation brings eternal life. As we look at the eternal nature of our salvation, I'd like to draw your attention first to what Jesus said here in John chapter 10. And verses 27 to 29. Listen to what he says here. John chapter 10, 27 to 29. He says, My sheep hear my voice. And he's calling believers, everyone that trusts in him, sheep. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Here Jesus speaks about the eternal security of every single believer. Trials may come. Hardships may be experienced. You're going to face all sorts of difficulties in life. But the Bible very clearly says that no one, no power, no individual, not even yourself, will ever be able to pluck you out of the hand of Christ once you're saved. He keeps you secure forever. When we're saved, we are saved forever. Listen to what we're told in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 through 5. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We not only, that, those verses talk about not only an inheritance that we have in store for us as believers, that God is literally put in a safety deposit box in heaven that is waiting to be given to us once we're there. It's not only an inheritance that we have reserved for us, the Bible says there. But, he says, we, we as believers are kept. We're kept by the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Is there a more encouraging message than knowing that Jesus Christ has not only come to make salvation possible, but that his salvation lasts for all eternity? And it's not in yourself. It's not in you maintaining it or keeping it active. It is in you believing that Jesus Christ is the one keeping you secure. He keeps you eternally secure when he saves you. It is not a gift that he gives us, that we have the possibility to lose. It is not a gift given that we have to maintain. 
It is a gift given that he keeps and that he maintains. In fact, the gift is himself. Listen to how he describes it in John 14 and verse 16. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. This is the Holy Spirit he's talking about. He says that he may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit will abide with you forever. And that abiding, he takes up residence in you the very moment that you are saved. He permanently takes up residence in you. That is God's promise to us, that he'll never leave us, that he'll never forsake us, that he will be our God forever. And he does that by taking up residence within us. We have the presence of God with us at all times because the Spirit of God abides in us if we've come to faith in Jesus Christ. That word abide is so important because it's not just that the Holy Spirit comes by every once in a while. It's not just that he spends a few days here and then he, he goes and comes back and you know, comes and goes as he pleases. He is abiding with us forever. We're not a hotel for him to stay in for a while and then leave. God's promise of his presence with us is for all eternity. Now this truth should bring strength, should bring joy, should bring excitement and comfort and confidence to your heart. It should encourage you to go out and share this wonderful news to others. Because what greater message is there than the ever-abiding presence of God for all those who come to him in faith? He's not just going to save you, but he's going to keep you saved. He's going to be with you forever. He's going to let you know what it's like to not be alone in life, but to have his presence there with you moment by moment, day by day. Let me give you seven truths really quick that solidify the doctrine of eternal security. As we're going out soul winning, as we're trying to encourage others to know more about Jesus Christ and to know that there is salvation and eternal salvation in him. Let me offer seven truths that really solidify this doctrine of eternal security, which is very important for us to understand. First, the permanence of the Holy Spirit. The permanence of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, this was part of our reading this week. Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 12 and 13, the Bible states that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now there's a lot that's being said here, but what he's saying in a nutshell is that everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're saved because Jesus Christ shed his blood for your sins. You've been purchased by his blood, and then through faith in him, you have then been sealed. We don't do this often today, but back in the day when you were sealing an envelope, you didn't just lick it to, to seal it, but you pressed a seal upon it. You marked it off with a certain identifier. And God's way of sealing his, his children was by giving them the Holy Spirit. And so he sealed us. He impressed his mark upon us by giving us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he did that here the moment that we're saved. So we're the purchased possession of his blood. We're sealed as a child of God by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells us immediately when we put our faith in Christ. And the Holy Spirit just, doesn't just abide in us to take up space but he's actively working in us and preparing us for the future glory that we are now destined for as a child of God. Philippians 1 verse 6 states, being confident of this very thing, 
that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't stop working in your life until you are received into the everlasting presence of God in heaven. He starts the work and he sees it through completion. The moment we're saved, God writes down our names in the Lamb's book of life where they shall never be blotted out. Our salvation is instantaneous, but the work of the Lord, of the Holy Spirit specifically in our lives, which we refer to as sanctification, that takes time. He is preparing us. Sanctification is the process by which God sets us apart for himself. There, if you can think of it this way, sometimes in, you walk up to a store, there, there may be signs that say something to the effect of no shirt, no shoes, no service. The moment that you're saved... You can go right to heaven. You have everything you need to go right to heaven. But usually what happens is the Holy Spirit enters in. He prepares you for what you're going to experience and what life is going to be like in heaven. So it's almost as if God is saying, you're ready for heaven, but you can't enter the way that you're looking right now. We're going to refine you. We're going to purge you. We're going to clean you up a little bit. And the Holy Spirit's going to start that work in you. And he's going to continue it until you're ready for it. Now, some of us, that work takes a long time. You've been saved since you were four years old. And now you're 94 years old. And boy, he's been going to work on you. Some of us, it's very quick. Some, some people come to Christ on their deathbed. And God says, you're ready. Come now. There are other instances where God is working, but this process of sanctification is a process. You're saved immediately. Nothing changes that. You're, you're ready. You, need, you have everything you need for salvation, everything you need for heaven. You have it right the moment Christ saves you. But Christ starts this work of sanctification, and it's through the Holy Spirit working in you. There is a, a permanent work that he's doing, and it's not complete until you're in the presence of God in heaven. So during that time when you're saved, you're coming to church, you're reading the Bible, you're learning more about God, and the Spirit of God is, is molding you. You're like clay in His hand. He is purging you, He is cutting off those edges that need to be refined, that have been a thorn in your side, that need to be shed from that old nature. He is purifying you, He is cleansing you. All this is necessary because when you're in heaven, none of this is going to be with you. You're going to shed that old man completely and you're going to be in the glories of God perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we see the permanence of the Holy Spirit. But notice second, the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. The perfection of Christ's sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, the Bible says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. By one offering. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, the Old Testament sacrificial system, all those sacrifices that were required to be offered to God were done every time a person sinned. It was a continual practice with an endless amount of bloodshed because man continued to sin. But all those sacrifices pointed to a picture of the one sacrifice that would be made by Jesus Christ, where Hebrews 10, 14 again says, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. In the first four verses there in Hebrews chapter 10, listen to what the Bible says. It says, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come. So everything pointed towards the coming Christ. The law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. 
for then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. So all of the sacrifices that were done never satisfied sin altogether. You, you came and you made atonement. You had an offering for sin for what you did today. And then tomorrow when you sin again, guess what? You're right back at it again. And day by day, year by year, you're going through this vicious cycle where animals are being slaughtered to be offered upon the sacrifices. And what it says is that all of this was done and all of it pointed to the ultimate sacrifice where Christ would offer himself for the sins of the entire world. In 1 John 2, verse 2, the Bible states, And he, speaking in context of Christ, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died upon that cross, he declared the work to be finished. He offered himself in our place, he be, and because of his sacrifice, we are perfected forever through faith in him. It's not that Jesus has given us a fresh start or that he's given us a second chance, but rather an eternal perfection. We don't become perfect in that we never sin again here on earth, but all the requirements for us to be in heaven one day are fully settled in the perfection of Jesus Christ. He became everything for us, everything that we could not be on our own. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He satisfied the wrath and the entire wrath of God for our sin upon himself. And as a result of our faith in him, the debt of our sin has been completely paid off through the blood of Jesus Christ. Since Christ was perfect, his sacrifice guarantees the full debt of our sin paid off. Past, present, future. To suggest that a person could lose their salvation is to suggest that Christ was not perfect. Or that he didn't do enough as our sacrifice, which is, of course, not true at all. Christ wouldn't have died on the cross in our place if the salvation that he was offering was not an eternal salvation. Otherwise, it would be necessary for him to keep going to the cross over and over and over again. In Romans 6, verses 9 and 10, the Bible tells us, it says, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Believers don't need to worry about ever losing your salvation every time you sin. Because you're still going to sin. The reason is because Jesus Christ did what he did for us. Secured in himself for all eternity. It doesn't matter how, how bad you're going to be. Now, this, isn't, this doesn't mean that you have a license to go and free, freely sin as badly as you can just to test how much God's grace is going to abound. But God has given to us a new nature which doesn't have that desire, where the Holy Spirit is constantly motivating us to live a life that is pleasing to God instead of living a life that is pleasing to our flesh. But the truth of the matter is, is that we can never outsin the grace of God. Where sin abounded, the Bible says, grace did much more abound. Jesus Christ has done what he has done for us. It can never be undone. And it can never be taken away. It can never be fading at all. We don't need to worry about losing our salvation every time we sin. 
The Bible is clear on this. In fact, if you search the scriptures, you will never find even one account of any single individual in the Bible losing his salvation or needing to get saved a second time. You'll never find it because it never happens. Our salvation is instantaneous. It happens the very moment that a person believes on Jesus Christ as his Savior, and it is eternal. It is everlasting. It doesn't fade. It doesn't go away. It doesn't expire after a certain time frame. God knew enough not to leave it up to us to maintain our own salvation. If it was up to us to maintain it, he would have just made a way for us to be saved on our own and said, if you can maintain it, you might as well try and get saved on your own. Why send Jesus Christ to go through all of it only for him to say, okay, now it's up to you to maintain it. If you couldn't get saved on your own, what makes, us, what makes him think that we could maintain our salvation on our own? It's a rather foolish idea to have that we could ever lose our salvation. If we're trusting in Jesus Christ, that his work on the cross, that his burial and his resurrection from the grave was enough to offer salvation in the first place, it's very foolish of us to ever suggest that we can somehow lose our salvation through the perfection of what he's done. What a glorious message it is to proclaim that Jesus Christ, that his sacrifice, has perfected us forever as we come to him in faith. The perfection of Christ's sacrifice. Third, the position of of those who are saved, the position of those who are saved. The moment we're saved, we move, we change positions. We move from being an object of God's wrath to an object of God's love. We were destined for hell, and now we're destined for heaven. We have been called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. And listen to the change described in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17. The Bible says here, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're a new creature in Christ. Though we may have once been enemies with God, our salvation changes our position to now be in Christ. We are eternally connected with God through Jesus Christ because we receive Christ's righteousness through faith in all of his finished work. Therefore, we can never lose our salvation because that would mean that Christ has failed us in some capacity or that he has ceased to be God. We are in him. Not by anything that we have done ourselves, but by everything that he has done. So our remaining in him has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with him. Have you ever lost anything? Right? We've lost all sorts of things. We, we lose things that are on our person at times. You ever lost a set of glasses that are on your head or a set of keys that are in your hand or in your pocket? We lose our minds at times trying to frantically find these things which are sometimes right on us or within arm's reach of us. Can you imagine if God said, okay, listen, here's the deal. I'm sending you my only begotten son. He's going to do everything you need for salvation, but you have to make sure that you keep it and don't ever lose it or else it's all squandered. You'd be miserable. Even those things that, that you think you're never going to lose, you end up losing them. Even those things that are most precious to you can't always be held on tightly enough for you to always keep and maintain them. Thankfully, God didn't do that. 
He knows us far better than we know ourselves. So he said, I'm sending you my only begotten son that if you have faith and trust in him, he not only will save you, but he's going to keep you saved. Because you're foolish enough, you'd lose it within five minutes. And I don't want that for you. So our position changes to be an enemy with God into you're now in Christ. He's the one that is keeping you. He's the one that is maintaining you. Our remaining in him has nothing to do with us. It's not as if Christ saves us and then throws us one end of the rope and says, okay, hang on for dear life. And yet this is the kind of salvation that many people think they have. That they have to keep hanging on and boy, it's a struggle because the grip seems to be loosening and loosening as difficult as life is. But many people think that this is the only way to get to heaven is for them to be good enough or strong enough or faithful enough. This is why people need to be reminded of what we're told here in John chapter 10 and verses 27 to 29. Again, it says, my sheep hear my voice. Do you know how sheep are? Any of you ever been around sheep before? They're very skittish. Doesn't take much to frighten them. And then they, what happens when you frighten a sheep? Just kind of stiffen up and they fall over like a board. It's almost comical at times. They can be so dumb. I feel like I should be saying this while I'm talking into a mirror. Right? I mean, we, we go from moments where things are going great, where we feel like we're on top of the world, that we're trusting God and God is just blessing us. And then the smallest thing happens and we're looking at God thinking, what in the world is going on? How did it get to this? And we're afraid, we're worried, we're terrified, we're nervous, we're panicked, we're stressed, and you name it, we have it. As if God has left us and abandoned us and said, okay, well, I'm going to go on a coffee break. You handle things from here. He's there with us. Circumstances change, yes, from day to day. But the reminder that we have is that he's still there with us every moment. Again, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. No one can pluck us out of his hand. But are we plucked at? Yes. The devil is daily trying to pluck us out of his hand. He's plucking at us, but we're completely secure. Nothing can be done. Nothing can be done to cost us our salvation. It's not our hold on Jesus that keeps us saved. It's his hold on us. And that's what he's saying there. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We are in the palm of Christ's hand. And then... He says in verse 29, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Well, which one is it? Are we in Christ's hand or are we in the Father's hand? Well, he does, very next verse, he says, I and the Father are one. The way I like to see it is that we're in Christ's hand right here and God the Father says, you know what, to make sure that they really feel secure, I'm gonna come and put my hand on top of that. So they're eternally secure as if they weren't already. We are secure in every way. When I, when Ruthie and I walk the kids through the parking lot, whether it's here, whether it's anywhere else, we tell them, okay, you got to hold one of our hands. We're not trusting in their grip on our hand to secure them. They're kids. Right? We're not saying, okay, I'm just going to stick my hand out like this, and I'm not going to grip your fingers, and I'm not going to grip your hand. You grip onto my hand and hold on as tightly as possible as we walk through this dangerous parking lot. Make sure you hold on tight. No. We tell them that they're holding our hands, but who is it really that's holding their hand? It's us as the parents holding the child's hand. 
Because we trust our grip a whole lot more than we trust their grip on us. God is doing the same thing for us. He says, you are my child. I'm not going to save you and then leave it up to you to hang on to me with your life, hoping that it's going to be enough. Hoping that you're going to be strong enough. Hoping that when the challenges of life are going to come, and they will come, that you'll hold on tightly enough to me to be able to maintain what I have given to you. He says, child, you hold on, but I'm holding on to you. And that is a grip that is never going to be loosened. That is a grip that is all-powerful. A grip in which no one slips out of. This is the eternal security that he's talking about. This is where Jesus says we're forever secure. Every believer believes in, in some sense of security. But most believe that their security begins only once they're in heaven. As if they can only breathe that sigh of relief once they've crossed the threshold from this life and into the next. <sighs> I've made it. Now I can finally relax. Now I know I'm secure. But this is where we miss the message of eternal security because eternal security has nothing to do with a place. Eternal security has everything to do with a person, the person of Jesus Christ. We're eternally secure not because we're in heaven or will one day be in heaven. We're eternally secure because, as the Bible says, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Notice fourth, the predestination of the saved. The predestination of the saved. Listen to what we read in Romans chapter 8 and verses 28 to 30. Romans 8, 28 to 30. The Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. The Bible tells us that from before the foundation of the world, God in his foreknowledge knew everyone who would ever believe on him. And God predestined that the means of salvation would be faith in Jesus Christ. That's how a person gets saved. And that the results of that salvation would be that each individual that is saved will be conformed into the image of his son. God has predestinated that Jesus is the only means of salvation and that all who come to him in faith will receive everlasting life and will receive the promise of heaven. God hasn't predestined every single moment, every single thought, every single action, or even specific individuals to either heaven or hell, only the means and only the results of salvation. Now think of it this way. How many of you have ever flown an airplane before? Right? Probably most of us. We've all flown on an airplane before in, in some, some point, some time. No matter where you're traveling to, as you boarded that plane, there was a predetermined destination where that plane was headed, right? Hopefully you knew where you were going. <laughs> but there's a predetermined destination where you're going to go, where you're going to be arriving. Even if there is a layover somewhere, you know this plane is, is going to Baltimore. You know this plane is going to Chicago. You know this plane is going to D.C. Wherever it is, even if you're going to somewhere else at the, the next layover, you know that there's a predetermined destination that the plane that you're boarding is arriving at or will eventually arrive at. From a human perspective, it is predestined to arrive in a specific city. Even though the plane's travel is predestined, your actions on that plane are completely up to your choosing. 
When God predestines the means and the results of salvation, the person who believes in Jesus Christ is the one boarding that plane that is headed towards heaven. It is set on a destination for heaven. You can't change it. Nothing you do can undo that. You're on this flight. It's going to heaven. You're living through life. You're on your way there no matter what you do once you come to faith in Jesus Christ. But during this life, you have free will to exercise as you choose how to live on this journey that you're headed towards heaven. But you're always on your way to heaven because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much Satan may try to stop any of that from happening. God has predestined that the moment a person believes in his son Jesus Christ, he is saved and that he is saved eternally. He may sin, you may stumble along the way, but nothing changes the fact that he is now a child of God and he is now on his way to heaven. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, it already declares that the believer is justified, it says. And it's a past tense. Believers do not have to wait to see if they're going to one day eventually end up in heaven. God has already declared that it's so. And this may be kind of hard for us to understand. Because God operates in a different realm than we do. God is not limited to time. He is separate from time altogether. Therefore, when he sees his children, he sees them. From even before time began, he could see who was going to be saved. He could see when they were going to be saved. He could see when they were going to breathe their last breath here on this earth and when they would be glorified in his presence in heaven. He could see all that as if it was all done and taken care of. Believers don't have to wait to see it. We, we have to wait to see it. But God is separate from time. So therefore, when he declares that his, that he, his children are saved, he sees them already as glorified, even though you may still be here on earth. What he has settled in heaven can never be undone by anything that is happening here on earth. What God has settled in eternity cannot be undone even by time. Everyone who is being conformed into the image of God's Son is eternally secure. And notice fifth, the present state of salvation. The present state of salvation. The very moment you are saved, you have eternal life. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to start your eternal life. You have it the very moment you're saved. In John 6, verse 47, Jesus stated, He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me shall eventually have everlasting life. No. No. He says, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. You have it. The very moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life. Not you will one day have it, but the moment you believe on him, you have everlasting life. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you have everlasting life, and you have it right now. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to, to experience it. You have it right now. This is never anything that you can do or anything that any, anyone can do to cause you to not have everlasting life. It is he who saves you, and it is he who keeps you saved. There is no power ever equal to God to ever undo what he has done or separate you from the power of God. And that's why when he says there in John chapter 10, no man can pluck them out of my hand, no man can pluck them out of my father's hand. He says, there is no equal to myself and my father. He says, people may try it, the devil may certainly attempt to pull you out of here, but no one is gonna loosen you from the grip that we have on you because we have saved you personally and we have saved you eternally. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2, it states, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We may not know all that there is to know about God right now. But as a result of our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, 
we immediately become a child of God and we immediately receive everlasting life. And notice, sixth, running out of fingers, sixth, the prayers of our Savior, the prayers of our Savior. As Jesus went to the cross on behalf of every single sinner, he finished the work he was called to do by making himself the atonement for mankind's sin. He declared the work complete when he cried out from the cross those three beautiful words, it is finished. All the work was finished to make our salvation immediately possible. Now that Christ has ascended to the Father in heaven, we are told of the work that he is doing on our behalf. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 25, it declares, it says, Wherefore, he is also able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Christ is interceding for every single believer right now. He's done all the work necessary for salvation. He is at the right hand of God the Father right now, interceding for every single one of us. You know why? Because we have an accuser, the devil, who is daily going to God and saying, this person's not worthy of your salvation. Do you have any idea what this person's done? Do you have any idea how bad they are? You should revoke that salvation. They don't deserve it. They're not worthy of it. Cancel it out. And Jesus says, forgiven, 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 forgiven. Not because of who they are, but because of who they are in. And Jesus says, they are in me. They are in me. In John chapter 17 and verse number 9, this is what is often referred to as Christ's intercessory prayer. This is honestly what I think of the Lord's prayer. He says this in verse number 9, and he's speaking to every believer here. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now context, again, makes it clear that Christ is praying for every believer of every age. As weak and frail as we might be, we have a Savior who ever lives to make intercession for us if we come to him in faith. It matters not what you look like on the outside. It doesn't matter how rough and ragged you are or how put together you are. Because if you believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior, your heart is eternally secure in Him. He is your God, both now and forever. Seventh, and this is the last one. Notice the power of God's sovereignty. The power of God's sovereignty. I mentioned these verses earlier, but listen again to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It is the power of God that keeps us saved. The message of the world teaches that we have to be good enough, that we have to be strong enough, that we have to be capable enough, that we have to be smart enough, and go on filling on. While God is teaching us here in the Bible that Jesus is more than enough for everything we will ever need. We don't have to worry about being enough because we have a Savior who is everything to us and everything for us. Breathe that sigh of relief. Let those you're witnessing to know that it's not up to them to meet some perfect standard or to meet some perfect requirement, but that Jesus has already done everything for them to be saved and all they have to do is to believe on him as their Savior. He is the almighty God and no one he saves ever slips through his fingers. The hands of Christ may be beaten and battered because Satan comes and he's trying to pluck us all out of him. But no one has ever been lost that he has saved. 
Every one of us has, every one of us are weak and continue to sin, but there is still no one who can ever condemn us because once we're in Christ, He is our strength and He is our eternal righteousness. Listen to what it says in Romans 8 and verses 33 and 34. It says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. You see, it doesn't matter how much the accuser of the brethren, Satan, how many charges he brings against us to God. Our intercessor, Jesus Christ, has already declared us to be righteous in himself and has already made us eternally secure through our faith in him. It's done. It's settled. Romans chapter 8 begins with these words. It says in Romans 8 verse 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then it ends with these words. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ending and a beginning in such a beautiful way. The chapter begins with no condemnation for the believer and it ends with no separation for the believer. How beautiful is that? For a world that is struggling for answers and always coming up short, this is the message of hope. For a world of people that think that they have to be good enough, this is the message of hope. For a world of people who are miserable and lost, this is the message of hope. Jesus Christ is always the answer. God knows all of our weaknesses. He knows our frame. He knows that we cannot manage anything on our own. And that is why he has made salvation as simple as believing on his son, Jesus Christ. This entire sermon is summed up in the words of Christ here in John 27, 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. At the moment of salvation, we are secure in the palm of Christ's hand. And God the Father comes and secures us even more by placing his hand right over the top of us. This is the message of hope the world needs to hear. If you're here today and you've been struggling with some aspect of salvation, know that all is required of you is to believe Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, and your faith in him brings you that eternal, that everlasting life. We are saved by works. The good thing is, it's not by our works. It is by the works of Jesus Christ. We're saved by the works of Jesus Christ alone, who paid the eternal punishment of all of our sin and eliminated our need to ever work toward earning our own salvation. Admit that you're a sinner. Recognize your need for salvation. Realize that you cannot get there on your own. Admit or see that Jesus has paid the price of your sin and receive him in faith as your Savior. And once you do that, go in peace, knowing that you're now eternally secure in the palm of Christ's hand. Live each day in newness of life because Jesus has transformed you to be a child, from being a child of the devil to now being a child of God. Start learning about the God who loves you eternally, who keeps you saved eternally, and tell others about what he has done for you personally. If you're saved today, be encouraged that your salvation is kept eternally secure through the power of Jesus Christ. But don't keep that to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself. Go out and tell others about how they too can begin to enjoy the eternal blessings of being a child of God. 
how they can finally experience true and lasting peace in their lives instead of the misery and pain of a life that is lived apart from God. Go and tell them. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we're able to come and to open up your word together. Your Lord, your word that has stood the test of time and opposition. More importantly, Lord, we're just so thankful about your, what your word imparts to us. It shows us of the truth of who you are, Lord, and how you have offered us salvation so easily and freely through Jesus Christ, and that it is a salvation, Lord, that is eternal. I pray, Lord, that this was something that we would think more about. Lord, that it would motivate us to witness for you. Lord, to go out and tell the world about how they can have complete peace and assurance and confidence in life, resting completely in your word and in what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're going to sing at this time uh, the chorus, Complete in Thee, uh, before we get into our communion service. So let's stand together as we sing, Complete in Thee.